Long History's Random UK Prime Minister of the Week, the 42nd Prime Minister, Clement Attlee. The Prime Minister who led to the creation of the National Health Service. Prime Minister from the 26th of July 1945 to the 26th of October 1951. Hello everyone and welcome to Long History's Random UK Prime Minister of the Week. And this week we're looking at a Prime Minister, I'm not sure if he's very famous, but he is certainly very consequential for the country. He was the first Prime Minister after World War II, and as such he had to deal with the fallout from that war. And it's interesting, looking at the lists of best Prime Ministers ever, there's no surprise that Winston Churchill always features at or near the top. Churchill is synonymous with the Second World War, we could say that he won the Second World War, but Attlee, it can also be argued, won the peace that came afterwards. It's interesting also that looking at lists of best Prime Ministers, it's surprising that many times, especially in certain types of lists, weighted towards the left of politics, and particularly when 20th century Prime Ministers are considered, the somewhat characterless and rather dull Clement Attlee comes out on top. And even when you open the field out more widely, to all Prime Ministers and to commentators from a wider range of political backgrounds, Attlee still consistently features in the top ten of best Prime Ministers ever. I do suspect that he's not very widely known internationally, and in many circles I'm sure his version of socialism would make him seem unpalatable. Nevertheless, his version of left-wing politics was the most consequential the UK has ever seen. There is one way in which there is agreement about his status as Prime Minister. He is pretty consistently ranked as the best Prime Minister from the Labour Party ever. And the reason why he's seen so favourably is that he was involved in his crowning achievement and one of the country's most beloved institutions, the National Health Service. Clement Attlee certainly didn't get everything right. It can be argued that he tied up the country's financial resources on a national health service and on nationalising some of the country's main industries just at a time when the US was surging ahead and a resurgent Japan and West Germany were reviving their private industries. His urge to get the job done regarding the independence of India arguably led to a much more violent transition than would have happened with a more gradual independence, arguably. Either way, the transformations he made defined the post-war UK and changed the country forever. Here on Long History, we like to look at a Prime Minister by asking various questions and the first question we always ask is what was this person like? And I would argue that Clement Attlee's high ranking in the lists of best Prime Ministers ever is reassuring because Attlee, unlike Churchill, his predecessor for example, wasn't a larger-than-life character nor was he a great orator or a communicator. He doesn't appear to have been monstrously ambitious. He doesn't sound like he would have been much fun, frankly, and descriptions by contemporaries make him sound like a rather officious middle manager. One commentator I noted said that he would not have succeeded if he had come along ten or so years later in the age of television. Rather, it seems, he was just good at getting things done. It might be one of the things that people most want from a Prime Minister, but competence in this way doesn't always go hand in hand with a colourful character, and so, unfortunately, some people are often not good at garnering votes. So it's perhaps no coincidence that Attlee came to power just after the larger-than-life character Churchill. 
the people had, at that very specific moment in history just after World War II, perhaps had enough of big personality politics and just wanted someone who would do the job competently. Perhaps. Right, so that's the introduction. Now we like to take a step back and give a bit of the historical background of the time. And of course, this is one of the most consequential moments in history. The Second World War in Europe ended on the 8th of May 1945, just before Attlee was elected. The first political instincts after the First World War had perhaps harked, nostalgically, towards recreating pre-war Edwardian England, even though it had definitively been destroyed. After the Second World War, however, there was no nostalgia for the pre-war strife, strikes and poverty of the 1930s. Things had to change. Politicians have often promised change. They promise it with passion, and it has become a bit of a political cliché. After World War II, however, people were demanding change, and Clement Attlee was in a unique position to grasp that opportunity. Moreover, there was a plan. Attlee had a stroke of luck. The war, of course, was an exceptionally bad time, and the people and government had been faced with an existential need to make decisions, to make systems work and to produce results. The people around Clement Attlee had all gained significant experience of running things during the war in a coalition government. They had made plans for what they wanted to happen after the war. But more than that, they had the experience that meant they knew how to put the plans into action. It was therefore a perfect storm of opportunity, talent and experience. We had experienced politicians full of transformational ideas and with the ability to put them in practice. We had a Prime Minister focused on improving the lives of the people, a man whose integrity was more important than his ego. Frankly, it's not hard to see why some people look back with longing at this particular age as a reminder, when people think politicians are incapable of change, of just how much can be achieved in six years of government. In the UK at the time, although the war ended on the 8th of May 1945, rationing continued for a number of years and it even became stricter, particularly when the UK's wheat crop failed in 1946 leading to bread shortages. In 1946, a construction worker might earn 103 shillings per week, around £183 in today's money or $235 at modern exchange rates. Someone in the textile industry would earn something like 78 shillings and 3 pence which was £135 or $172. Wages had dipped during the war, but they rose significantly immediately after the war, until they levelled off around 1947. We occasionally like to focus on a town, and at this moment the port city of Hull, on the east coast of England, was one of the most significantly damaged places in England during the war. Almost all the houses were damaged in some way, with half of the centre of the town being demolished. Hull's population was at its peak in 1941 when the bombings occurred, being some 310,000. Almost half the population were displaced during the war, and 1,200 were killed. The population of Hull still has not recovered today, being 261,000 in 2019. The UK as a whole in 1941 had a population of 48.2 million, compared to 67.3 million in 2021. 
Over the pond, Harry S. Truman had become the president. On the 12th of April 1945, after the death of Franklin D. Roosevelt in office, he remained in office during the whole of Clement Attlee's tenure. The first atomic bomb to be used in conflict was dropped on the 6th of August 1945, bringing the war in the East to the end on the 2nd of September 1945. As the war ended, a new enemy emerged and the Cold War began, leading not least to the Korean War, which began towards the end of Clement Attlee's tenure in 1950. Before we get back to Clement Attlee, we like to look at who could vote in that time, just to show the development of democracy over the years. Clement Attlee won two elections, although the second one was with a significantly reduced majority. A year later, a third election led to Churchill's return to power. The last major change to the electorate had taken place in 1928, when women were given the vote on the same terms as men. To vote in 1945, you had to be over 21, today the age is 18. And in the 1945 election which brought Attlee to power, just over 24 million people voted, being around 73% of the electorate. So the next question is, what was Clement Attlee's background? He was born in London and died in London. He was born on the 3rd of January 1883 to a wealthy family. And although he's the only Prime Minister to have attended Haleybury College, he is one of the 42 out of 57 currently Prime Ministers who were educated wholly at fee-paying schools. So that's 74% of Prime Ministers going to fee-paying schools, even though only 7% of the population as a whole goes to such schools. Clement Attlee then went on to study at Oxford University, one of 30, that is over 50% of Prime Ministers who went to this one university. It's safe to say, therefore, that Attlee had an establishment background, but was drawn to the left of politics when he volunteered in the East End of London and saw the poverty in one of the richest countries in the world. After university, he trained as a barrister and joined the nascent Labour Party, then called the Independent Labour Party. Attlee served in the First World War on various fronts and sustained several injuries. It was during this time that he participated in the Gallipoli campaign, which had been devised by Winston Churchill. And despite its failure, Attlee saw enough to appreciate Churchill's skills as a tactician, something which helped his working relationship during the Second World War. He became a Member of Parliament in the 1922 general election, and became leader of the Labour Party in 1935 when George Lansbury resigned from the post. The then Prime Minister, Stanley Baldwin, called an election, hoping to benefit from the weakened Labour Party. Attlee was rushed into the job of the leader of the Labour Party on an interim basis. Although the Labour Party lost that election, it gained enough support for Attlee to win the subsequent leadership election being seen as a safe pair of hands who could unite the party. In May 1940, some eight months into the Second World War, Winston Churchill formed his coalition government, which included members of Attlee's opposition party. Attlee and Churchill were the only two members of the war cabinet to serve until the election which was held when the European conflict ended. And whereas Churchill clearly steals the thunder as a wartime leader, Attlee's competence particularly in the role of Deputy Prime Minister, no doubt made a significant contribution to the war effort. 
So whereas tales involving the Second World War usually begin in 1939, Clement Attlee's leadership began with its end in 1945. How did Clement Attlee become Prime Minister? In 1942, a report had been put together called the Beveridge Report, containing plans for reform once the Second World War was over. This report outlined the creation of a welfare state, something for the population to work towards as they fought a war against fascism. All the parties agreed to implement the plan as the date for the 1945 election was set, but Clement Attlee's Labour Party was seen as the one most likely to achieve the aims of creating a national health service and a cradle-to-grave social service paid for by a national insurance scheme. The country was keen to move on from the Second World War. Churchill, a celebrated war leader, was also an establishment figure and the people wanted something new. What were Clement Attlee's biggest achievements as Prime Minister? Well, he is, of course, most famous for the creation of the National Health Service, which was proposed in that Beveridge report. He's also famous for nationalising many industries after the Second World War, including electricity, gas, railways and the steel industry. Under Attlee's tenure, free secondary education became a right, with the school leaving age being raised to 15. Other significant events during Attlee's consequential tenure was the independence of India, Sri Lanka and Myanmar, beginning the process of decolonisation which would extend over the next few decades. Immigrants, now known as the Windrush Generation in the meantime, began to arrive in the UK from across the then Empire, encouraged to move to the country to help with its post-war rebuilding. Why did Clement Attlee stop being Prime Minister? One thing that all these changes could not disguise was the fact that the UK was in a period of severe austerity after the Second World War. There were no fixed terms at the time in the UK, but elections had to be held every five years. And when the next election was held in 1950, Attlee won, but with a significantly reduced majority. That wartime generation was essentially still in power, but after implementing major changes, it had run out of ideas. Attlee was much weakened by his reduced majority, and splits in his own government led him to call another election in October 1951, in the hope that the public would give him a bigger majority. He's not the only Prime Minister to have taken such a risk, and in this case, it backfired. Clement Attlee lost to Churchill. Controversially, Labour actually gained more votes in that election, but the Conservatives won 26 more of the resulting seats. After losing the premiership, Attlee stayed at the head of the Labour Party until 1955, dying some 12 years later in 1967. So the last question we like to ask is why should we remember Clement Attlee? Well, to a certain extent, the story of Clement Attlee does come as something of a relief. Politics often seems to be tales of men who grasp their way to the top office, or perhaps even worse, those aristocratic stalwarts who are so well-connected that it somehow seems inevitable that they end up running the country. Clement Attlee, when he got to the top job, actually seemed to work towards giving people what they wanted and to improve everyone's lives, and to do it with competence rather than bombast. Much of his work, particularly the nationalisation of many industries, was reversed in the following decades. However, the National Health Service is one enormous achievement that draws a straight line from politics and politicians to the improvement of people's lives.
According to descriptions of him, he was quite a dull man who nevertheless did something life-changing for everyone in the UK. Moreover, an interesting note is that he was clearly patriotic, shown not least when he fought and was wounded in World War I. From my initial research into him, this seems to be a man who believed that a country could do great things, and he made it do great things. It does seem rather simple when you say it like that. Thank you for listening, everyone. That was an introduction to Clement Attlee, and I'm very sure there's a lot more you could look into here, including a lot of controversies, with even the National Health Service not being beyond criticism, and its funding today very much being a live political issue. And although the Second World War even here overshadows Clement Attlee's tenure, India became independent during his time in office. A huge change with enormous consequences for world history. If you like this episode, please do give it a like. And as always with these episodes, I just see them as a spark to help people initiate their research into these people. This is by no means a definitive history. This was Random UK Prime Minister of the Week, number 42, Clement Attlee, the man who led to the creation of the National Health Service. Goodbye.